I knew I had to behave and perform and posture as a particular type of man in, in a particular way as a means of of not becoming a target, as a means of not being a fraggle, as a means of not being bullied. But that wasn't really how I was feeling inside or, or that was me. I knew I, I had to kind of do that. So I think fear was, was a big part of my prison life, fear and vulnerability. Um, but there was no way looking at me that you would identify that when I'm going down for my meals or when I'm when I'm on the landing or when I'm playing pool or when I'm in the workshop. So I was able, I, I think there's some of the things, the vulnerabilities, um, they were some of the things I wanted to try and, and focus in on when we talk about men in prison. There were times when that door was shut, Naomi, and I would breathe a sigh of release, the relief, and think, thank fuck I've got through another day. Mm -hmm. um, I, I I didn't have a language for it. I I, I knew I, I knew that you know that this every day you'd wake up you, you you know you'd wake up you'd hear the keys you'd hear the the, the flaps opening and you'd you'd have to psych up for to, for that day to come um, and and get through that day and you know you'd you'd open your door you kind of shake off and you'd walk out. Hi, I'm Naomi Murphy and this is the Locked Up Living podcast where we talk with a wide range of people about harsh aspects of institutional life. We also explore some of the ways to overcome them and to grow and develop. I'm David Jones. So join us every Wednesday morning, six o'clock UK time for a fresh podcast. Okay, so today's guest is Dr David Maguire, Honorary Senior Research Associate at UCL Institute of Education. David has researched and managed projects for excluded groups across sectors that include housing, education, prison and the wider criminal justice system. In 2016, he was awarded a PhD from the University of Oxford for research focusing on the interplay between masculinity, education, unemployment, crime and imprisonment. After holding lectureship positions in criminal justice, criminology and sociology, David took up a British Academy postdoctoral fellowship at UCL's Institute of Education that explored post-prison transitions into employment and education. He's written and published on prison masculinities and is the author of British Society of Criminology prize-winning book, Male, Failed and Jailed, Masculinities and Revolving Door Imprisonment in the UK. He's also currently the director for the Prison Reform Trust's Building Futures Project, which is a five-year programme for prisoners who are serving or have served 10 or more years in prison. And we're really delighted to be able to welcome you along today, David. Thanks for joining us. It's great to be here. Thank you. Hi, David. It's very nice to meet you and thanks a lot for coming along. So you are a very well-regarded criminologist, David. But you haven't always been observing prison life from this side of the, the bars. So what's 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 led up to you being in this particular part of your life? Yeah, it, I mean, it, a really good question. I, I mean, I, I the, the conclusion in my book, I, I, I talk about, I mean, my book's very bleak, but in the conclusion, I talk about at the time when a lot of this, these experiences that that led to me doing the research and being interested in the things that I were interested, I could never imagined 
I'd be sat here and, and be described as a as a criminologist and not always being a criminologist. I I I, I suppose my my experiences and what I'm interested in are shaped by inhabiting these same spaces of those that I research, of those that I've worked with. And um and I have this very, you'll have seen conversations or, or no, I have this very ambivalent relationship to my experiences that shape my work and my thinking and my research, this insider positionality. So maybe just a bit of background. I, I you know, I grew up on a an estate in Greater Manchester. Um it's an area where it was common for kind of criminal subcultures to, you know, I, I'd be attracted to that. I was I was in trouble from an early age, um, in and out of police stations, solvents, in and out of, you know, trouble all the time, excluded from school, um, eventually um, in and out of prison during the 90s. And, um, and I suppose... It's all that kind of experience. I, you see, there's the, what's interesting is there's a there's a movement now around drawing on lived experiences and positionality and convict criminology, and and, and I find all that really really interesting. But I, I haven't settled um, with it in, in so many ways because I see my identity as being multi layered. Um, you know, from 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 the from the home that I grew up with, you know, my my dad was a drinker. He was abusive to my mom. He was kicked out when I was about two, and then I had a stepdad who was who was from a different race, a different country, on an estate in Greater Manchester, where there was a lot of racism. Um, a large, large family, um, black and brown brothers, um, Irish, so. I see all these multi-layers of identity as being important in how I see and view the world. Um, and I see, as some of my work tries to map out, is how my identity as a, as a man within these spaces contributed to pathways into prison, with prison being just one of them experiences. So I'm, I'm always reluctant to reduce my experience is down to just being a, a, an ex-prisoner because I see education, family, street, all these spaces as being significant in what shaped me and my thoughts and my research interests. I'm not sure if that answers the question, but um, I, no, I haven't, you know, I, I, it was in prison though that I, that I found education, not, not, and I talk about this a lot because it's something that I feel I, I and I, I always get emotional when I talk about it too, because I, I wouldn't go to prison education. I always found it patronizing. I always found it, you know, that the language of it, it, it just wasn't it. It just didn't suit me. But um, I met a prison teacher in Wayland, actually, because a lot of my offending was around drug use and, and, and substance kind of selling and, and that kind of thing. And as a swerve to try and get out of prison earlier, a parole swerve, I said I wanted to go and do a, a treatment programme in Wayland in, um, in Norwich. And part of that was compulsory education. We had to go to education as part of the treatment. And I met this wonderful, I talk about her all the time, um, Maggie, 
who was a brilliant, brilliant teacher who didn't force these awful kind of um, curriculums on us. She asked us what we was interested in and she'd walk in every day with piles of stuff for individuals, her arms always full of books and magazines and different kinds of things to try and get us all interested. A, a wonderful, wonderful woman who got me interested in education um, and, and identified that, uh, well, she suggested in the classroom that I had a very particular learning difference. I might be um, dyslexic or, or, or one of these things because my, my language didn't match with how I communicated via writing and other things. So she picked up, so, so that was a catalyst for me um and yeah i i i took that out and 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 run with it i i suppose i went to treatment post that sentence that was my last sentence and i went to drug treatment in london and as part of that we had to do activities to keep us busy and i, I started an access course at goldsmith's university um I'd never, I got picked out of school. I'd never read a full book till going to prison. So I had no kind of qualifications, no education um, to speak of. Uh, I'd never read, I was dyslexic. I used to have to get pub mates to, um, to write the envelopes of my letters because I, I, I couldn't handwrite. But anyway, I got in, I got in to do this access course at Goldsmiths and it was a social science access course. And after the experience with Maggie, it was sitting in this um, classroom, talking back to, to kind of themes and issues and theories and thinkers that resonated with my experiences. Um, and I, I felt I, I could contribute. Actually, if you speak to those that was facilitating the, 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 the kind of academics, they probably might say I spoke too much, but I, I really felt I could contribute to these debates and discussions and, and my confidence were growing um and yeah I I just started to be able to resonate with some of the debates that was happening and how they how they how they kind of reflected my experiences in my life and, and I, I become interested um yeah and that's you know that journey continued I, I, I suppose I, I did okay um, and then I went on to do a degree in, at, at Westminster University. And it's interesting because I, one of the questions, not to preempt them, is, is about barriers. And this was, in, this was in 99, 2000. And I wasn't really interrogated about my background. There was no real focus about where I come from. Um, I was welcomed into the into the university without any real um, uh, barriers to speak of in terms of access, I, I suppose. And that was on the basis of the work you'd done at Goldsmith, uh, I expect. So that's, so I, I suppose my access course was like what other people would have done A-level type of things. And that opened the door to me to do a criminology and sociology degree at, at, at Westminster. Mm. Um, and of course that went, that went well, but linking it back to my work and my interest around this time, if you think about this is 99, 2000, there was a lot of focus from early nineties on this idea of a crisis of masculinity, that, that boys and men are in crisis, that women have made far too much progress and um, 
boys are suffering as a consequence in this in the in the school in the in the um, workplace um and and these kind of things interested me and these discussions around men and masculinity um and you know i was just encountering these academics feminist scholars who were just sure it was just introducing me to this work around men and violence and and um divisions of labor and 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 sexuality and and all these things that that terrified me as a as a kid growing up as someone in a prison just you know but they felt liberating in many ways some of these ideas and it and it proper resonated with me being able to reflect on my own experiences in the spaces that I've navigated and how this literature talks back to that. So in some ways, this literature was quite a liberating experience. And I, and I just kind of, you know, I, I, I was taken with it and, and the academics that, that, that was writing about this stuff. There's an awful lot you've been saying there, yeah, David. You know, one thing I was struck by was your mention of yeah, Maggie and how meeting her in her position as a teacher kind of engaged with you. And it's surprising how often, well, perhaps it's not really surprising, uh, how often that crops up in the discussions we have with people, the importance of a particular individual taking an interest and understanding. David Wilson, I think the, the Birmingham criminologist chap wrote a paper about this some years ago. The, which he described as the importance of having a champion. Uh, this was also about people in prison, somebody, and he was mainly referring to prison officers, who you know, believed believed in, 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 in you. And that making mm. a huge difference in somebody's progress. But the other thing, sorry to go on a bit, because uh, you said so much about forging an identity back there on that uh, estate in Manchester. Uh, which was fascinating because it sounded as if you had a whole mosaic of different influences out of which you had to forge a particular identity for yourself at that time, but which you've been working on uh, shifting you know, ever since. Does that sound familiar? I've, I've, so I've been, I, well, yeah, I, I forging an identity we do we do forge these i think and, and that's what a lot of this stuff i was learning is it, it, when we were talking about a crisis of men and masculinity of course these discussions around the 90s they saw this as men as a whole and and i think what i what what was what was striking to me and my thinking and my experiences and it links back to these estate it wasn't it, it wasn't men as a whole it was a particular group of men a particular uh, men from particular spaces from particular places who were who who and this is where my work goes through different shifts in divisions of labor through different shifts in in industrial relations who were at the sharp end of of some of these shifts so yeah, for people who went before me to the schools before I went to, um, they education wasn't uh, formal credentials wasn't a big factor. It was like you come out of that, and we all know about this. You come out relatively undereducated, and you'd walk into a, a relatively decent um, shop floor job that you might keep 
for, for some years that would pay enough for you to be able to kind of transition from home to your own place. All these spaces, as, as I was about reaching these, forging these notions of transitions from, from, from boyhood to manhood, was, was all reducing these opportunities for men and boys was being taken away in these very particular spaces. And I suppose from my own experience, you know, I remember leaving school at, at 15, um, no qualifications, barely able to read and write. And I had a work ethic because often we like to position generations of worklessness amongst particular groups of boys. But there was always a work ethic there. And I went from from shop floor to shop floor, asking for jobs, asking for jobs. Um, and often in abusive um, shop floors where, where, you know, people wouldn't think two ways of giving you a slap or being abusive to you. Um, and, and them options was reducing. And, and of course, what a lot of this work that I've cited later on that I encountered is, is when options are reduced for men like us, we look at alternative ways of expressing a very particular identity. So if I'm growing up on the streets of these estate and I... I need, I'm trying to perform an outward notion of, of masculinity. That could be done in different ways, whether it's being able to, to drive a car at a, 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 a particular way, whether it's being able to steal a motorbike in, 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 in record time, whether it's being able to fight, whether it's being able to get the right kind of clothes. These are all outward-facing um, um, indicators of, of masculinity that, that, that a lot of us try and navigate within these, these different spaces. So I think you're absolutely right. Identities was forged within these spaces from, from looking up to my older brothers, from looking up on people on the estate who had reputations for earning money. You know, people had reputations for being a grafter, for being able to go out and make money. They were seen as, as kind of role models in some ways. For me, I don't want to speak to all the estate, and it's something I, I need to qualify very clearly. These are small sections of the estate. In these communities, often there, there are people, mostly parts of these communities work very hard, struggle, are very, very law-abiding, but small groups of us, subsections of us on these, these estates would look at ways of, of doing identity and, and navigating these very impoverished spaces in, in whatever resources we could access. So you're absolutely right. My identities was forged within them spaces under the economic conditions that I was that I was that I was in. Sounds as if you were also talking about status within that as well, though, you know, in terms of how do you get status if there aren't more pro-social ways to to manage to achieve that um you know when you your, your answer to the first question very first question I thought was really interesting so I thought how inspirational is that that somebody who actually didn't really get into education and didn't enjoy it and then here you are years later that's how you make a living in education so I've managed to fall in love with 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 something that actually felt quite aversive maybe earlier on in life so I thought that was interesting but you know, it's like, how do you find status if if the education is not grabbing you in a way that you can access? Because that seems to be the pathway for a lot of the status that we can get during adulthood, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. So if, if you look at some of the literature around boys and schooling and education, very particular groups of boys will get status through being able to, to, to perform sports or work or, or school work and then still mess about and be, be whatever. For us, 
performing school work or, or, or sports was always a big one, but rejecting it was a way of getting the status. Mm. Anti, anti-learning kind of cultures, this is going to do us no good where I'm yeah. going. So, so that was very much a part of, of generating status, absolutely. Um, yeah, it was very, I mean, status runs runs through everything you kind of do in them, you know, where you're highly visible to your peers, aren't you? When you, I think I say it in my work and it's in my, my, my own experiences, when you grew up on the estates and the experiences that I have and some of the peers I grew up with and the men I research, the only groups we're with often are all male groups, peers, boys, and they, within them groups, they, they survey your behavior. They look for weaknesses. They look for clinks that you, your, your identity as a man or a boy or, or respect is, is, is under so much scrutiny and surveillance often. And, 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 you know, the minute you kind of crack or that cracks, you can become vulnerable. You can become a target, so it, it, there's a lot of pressure often in them spaces once you've once you've built an identity as well is to sustain it and, and keep on maintaining it. Thank you very much. Um, and what you're saying you know, just then about uh, school and the meaning and the impact and the roles that people take up in school really took me back because I, I, I go to a, a film group and, and the other day they were watching a film called My Old School. And I couldn't go to it because I was up in Newcastle, but I wrote something for it for them to read out in my absence. And the first line of it was, uh, I was lucky. I went to a very good school and made the worst of it because actually I, I was a bit similar to you. I didn't really make the best of the opportunities that they were at uh, school. And I think that's terribly uh, common. But can, I, can I maybe just add something to that in, in that, the opportunity I didn't make the opportunities of a of a school, and I think what I do in my work and, and again from my experiences is our schools was awful. Our schools have been failing for years, underfunded, under resourced. Teachers that would say disillusioned, jaded teachers, um, you know that just didn't want to be there anymore. So when I was at school. It would be a, a you know a failing school and years and the men I research had gone through all the Ofsted reports. These schools have been failing for years and years and years. And part of what my argument is is it seems crazy to me that we can't invest in these spaces that are often taking some of the boys from some of the most deprived spaces that have these that are already deeply invested in these protest masculinities going into already kind of underfunded, overcrowded school spaces. So you can imagine where all that starts. Um, so I've been lucky in that I've, I've, you know, I've sat with, with kids in Oxford who's, who's come through 12, 12 kind of in a class um, school um, and had that level of tuition and, and all the rest of the stuff that we know is so important for transitions later on in life. So I think I'm, I'm glad you said that because it gave me the opportunity to be able to say, when we look at some of the schools servicing some of the most deprived spaces, they're awful, awful, awful. And, and there's always that one, a few of them, um, I, I know you mentioned 
I'd rather think, rather than Wilson, I'd rather think of what sociologists call as critical moments where people encounter people like Maggie or these brilliant, brilliant teachers who go off and do um, above and beyond stuff. And, and these, these underfunded, heavily deprived school spaces are full of them brilliant, brilliant people, but th there's just not enough. Yeah, sure. And, and of course, the iniquitous part of it is that the schools that I went to is still there, serving a very small proportion of the uh, population uh, to a very high standard. Whilst I'm sure the schools that you mentioned in Manchester are still struggling and uh, deprived. So anyway, <laughs> moving <laughs> on, um, thinking about your research, uh, David, because what's striking about it is that while many studies of men in prison focus in a fairly singular way on hypermasculinity, you focus on them as a more emotionally rounded individual. So what, what, what led you to begin at that point? I think, I think already your questions have enabled me to, to be able to get in how both my experience and my work come together. Uh, my experiences, my, my, my identity, my, my navigating these spaces. And I think, I think there's a lot of us as men, if we're really honest about ourselves, when we come out and reflect on, on really difficult spaces we've been in, if we're really honest about what some of them things are, how we feel inside and how we perform outside are two different things. Um, and I was always struck by, you know, prism for me, I knew I had to behave and perform and posture as a particular type of man in, in a particular way, as a means of, of not becoming a target, as a means of not being a fraggle, as a means of not being bullied. But that wasn't really how I was feeling inside or, or that was me. I was, I was putting signifiers out there, parts of identity that just didn't connect well with me inside, but I knew I, I had to kind of do that. So I think fear was, was a big part of my prison life, fear and vulnerability. Um, but there was no way looking at me that you would identify that when I'm going down for my meals or when I'm, when I'm on the landing or when I'm playing pool or when I'm in the workshop. So I was able, I, I think there's some of the things, the vulnerabilities, um, they were some of the things I wanted to try and, and focus in on when we talk about men in prison. David, can I just can I just ask, were you conscious at, at the time of kind of like trying to mask that vulnerability or is that something that you came to later on when you look back and think that's what I was doing? There were times when that door was shut, Naomi, and I would breathe a sigh of release, the relief and think, thank fuck I've got through another day. Mm -hmm. um, I, I I didn't have a language for it. I I, I knew I, I knew that you know that this every day you'd wake up you, you you know you'd wake up you'd hear the keys you'd hear the the, the flaps opening and you'd you'd have to psych up for to, for that day to come um, and and get through that day and you know you'd you'd open your door you kind of shake off and you'd walk out. It, it was it was literally. You know, and people, you know, people use a lot of Goffman and Ben Crew and, and they talk about, and Yvonne, they talk about front stage and backstage performances within 
within the prison space and there, there was a lot of there was a lot of that for me i i'm sure 99% of the people in prison i felt like you know i i this wasn't me how i was externally showing it it didn't feel like who i was i i had to i was you know i I'd hate to be called out on any kind of violence, but I had to posture a willingness for it. Um, and I'd be terrified and I'd have to I'd find either deal with it or, or back away from it had I be called out on it. But I think an important part of that prison experience, and I talk about it, is although prison is a much more extreme, intense, highly severe, you know, there's not a lot of spaces to get away from people. but I a lot of us are pretty well we've navigated all male spaces before whether that's on the street whether that's in schools whether that's in care homes and we know how important it is to put on a good front stage performance um and we know what the consequences are if we don't and of course this is all at the extreme end. It, it becomes part and parcel of your daily life. You meet peer groups, you know, you, you, you're a lot more relaxed, but you're always aware that there's a, a, a clumsy word. You say something clumsy to somebody or, or a spark that could just cause serious violence. And that's always, that, that is something that, you know, whether that's in a pub or whether it's in a prison or whether in some of these all male groups, you, you, you're always conscious that, you know that there's that there's a potential for violence to happen thank you and beyond the kind of like the hyper masculine and the vulnerability what were the other aspects of identity that emerged from your research that were relevant to, to men? so i think some of the things you know i i think we do you know and it's coming across in this conversation I think we have to acknowledge that some more prisons and, and some more male spaces can be very, very brutal, brutal environments. And, and there's all kinds of explanations and reasons for that hyper-masculinity. Um, but I think what, what I've tried to do with some of the work that I do and some of the conversations and, 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 and um, research is is to try and understand, use gender a bit more to understand men and boys and why some of, how we perform and do some of the things we do and to try and use gender more as a, as a means of, of understanding the gendered vulnerabilities of, of men and boys. Because I think what we have been brilliant at and what I think I'd really like, a, you know, scholars of masculinity in prison to do more of is learn from the brilliant work of, of people who's used gender as a way to talk about women and marginalization and vulnerabilities. Because men do gender too. And often when we think of gender, we often associate it with women and, and women's imprisonment and women's kind of, and I wonder how we can shift them conversations to use gender more to talk about some of the, the troubles that men have. Uh, and, and these are things that I've, I've talked about in my book around these ideas of, you know, um, identity tradition, you know, holding on to a traditional male identity that's no longer there. These ideas of, of you know, uh, missing important life events as men, these roles that are expected of us from coming from working class communities of protectors and providers 
that prison often deprives us of and that we feel a lot of shame around. Um, and these are the things that I wanted to try and pull out in my book a bit more is, is, is how men deal with being absent men and what their imagined futures might be as men um, and the pressures that they put on themselves to try and live up to particular ideals as men. So, you know, I'm sure I can go in a prison tomorrow and, and talk to similar kind of men and, and they will often think that their imagined futures will be a good breadwinning job to sustain them and a family and kids to be able to provide for their loved ones and domesticity, this idea of a good partner, a good job, a good house will make all their, their, their lives and futures seem exactly perfect and, and they can attain that. And of course, many of us have never been able to, to attain that because labour markets has changed our deference for particular types of workplaces and, and, and adjusting to them is, is more of a challenge. People often don't, you know, want to work for very kind of ridiculously exploitative wages and, and have some of the kind of deference that we need for that. So, so these are the kind of gendered pressures that I, that, I, that I wanted to try and get us to talk about when we're thinking more about men in prison, because often, and, and it's there and it happens, we think a lot about the brutality of men in prison, but we don't think enough about the vulnerabilities as fathers, as sons, as, as, as brothers, as, as, other, as other men, you know, among other men. And, and, and that's some of the conversations that I was hoping I could generate really hear the that sense of kind of failure permeating that which obviously is is significant given you singled it out for within your the title of your book as well I wondered whether there were other aspects of that experience that that um that might be less less bleak whether there were any signs of um hopefulness within um within those accounts I mean I, I, I suppose that's how I, how I concluded my book is, is, is we don't know. In my own experience, I, I, I was able to, to generate different forms of, of capital to, to, uh, to express a very particular type of identity. I, I was given, you know, I, I found different pathways and I generated different types of, of masculine capital, if you like. Um, and, when I, I've had done this interview, I've had been an, a participant, someone else coming in doing the research I was doing, and I've been a participant in that research, I would never for a second have seen any kind of future outside of where I was at that very particular time. So, of course, there's, there's, there's individuals and there's, there's moments and there's opportunities and there's critical moments that, that these sociologists talk about. I think what I'd like to talk more about when we speak about men in prison, and I see it more in my day job, is, is the compassion and care that men can show each other in prison. And although, you know, prisons can, as I say, be, be difficult spaces, but there's so much informal um, care, support and compassion that goes on on the prison landings that, that we 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 need to talk much more about among men, men who, who, who see somebody new on the landing. Of course, 
who kind of share stuff for people who just come in, who, who, who kind of give clothes or get people to, to send them something in. There's all kinds of, you meet someone in the dinner queue and, and something's happened, listen, come and see me later, we'll have a chat. There's all kinds of that informal support that, that goes on amongst men in prison that we don't encourage or maybe some spaces do that. We need to talk much more about that. We need to kind of find the spaces within prison to encourage much more kind of support amongst other men. And I think what brought that home to me, um, and, it, and it's outside of my research, it was part of my day job. I was visiting a very difficult um, Cat B prison during lockdown, and I was talking to some of the lads on the wing and um and because they were coming out individually for meals and things like that he, he said dave i'm in a really bad way he said um he said this idea of being locked up i miss you know if i was having an hard time i might see someone going down for my washing or my laundry and just a just a throwaway comment in that encounter can lead to some kind of support from somebody else. When we withdrew, then even them simple acts within a prison space of nipping to the laundry, of nipping to the get your canteen, of the different things, it, it, it hit home to me. I've just them, them momentary encounters often, if you've had a bad call or you've, you've had a letter and you, you just walk past someone on a landing and say, I'm really struggling, and some, once you've got them type of relationships, you can say about relationships and things are difficult. And sometimes there's a lot of support that can come with that amongst men. And we don't talk about that half enough, how men get other men through really difficult jail time. I think that's such an important point. It really resonates. And I think, you know, when the public thinks about prison, I think what they think of is frightening, a frightening environment. And it's obviously the boredom that's associated with prison, but certainly kind of like seeing that level of, I suppose, love and compassion from men towards each other. And I've spoken before on the podcast about, you know, running groups where people were very much loners at the start of treatment. And then in year three, we're talking about feeling loved and cared for. And some of that was about their relationship with staff members, but an awful lot of it was about how they related to one, each, one another and how they felt genuinely supported and cared for. And, having heard and seen prisoners advocating for other other men in prison um to you know for somebody to be a bit a bit kinder give them a bit of leeway because they were having a bad day or lending them something and not expecting double bubble um back in relation to yeah. it um you know you see those those elements of kindness and compassion and actually I think it would be nice if there was some research done on that because it would be good to understand that more to in to understand how that can be helped to flourish and how to make the best rather than, you know, I think we spend an awful lot of time talking about, and obviously prison is awful, um, but we spend all our time di really digging into that without thinking about, I think with everything, you need a bit of balance, don't you? And you need not just the, the focus on the tragedy of it, but how can you also focus on ways that you might find some uh, redeeming features, some compassion, some, connection something that might offer an alternative where you know a man gets a different message to the message he might have had previously yeah I completely agree completely but 
But in terms of kind of like thinking about your research and these aspects of masculinity that you that you that you're talking about represented in 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 prison, how do you see any um, similarities with other spaces that are predominantly male, like amongst the homeless or people with addictions? I mean, they're both populations where they're predominantly male clients, aren't they? Yeah, and you know, I I think. Anton Roberts in Sheffield is doing some interesting research around masculinity and enormousness. And, and of course, from a from a less kind of research, I've you know, I've 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 got personal experience of, of, of kind of um addictions and I'm working in the sector. Um but it I suppose they all kind of come together in many ways, don't they? That we can't separate. So so from my own experience, I've encountered you know um the streets and addiction and prison and some of them all link up quite nicely don't they and i think i think trying to i think understanding the math pathways around that is 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 an important one around um you know one one of the things that's not my area of expertise and it's and it's it's certainly your area more than mine and and it was one of the observation of my work is i don't talk around trauma enough around thinking about um some of the pathways of men that that's not what i wanted to focus on i wanted to focus on the gendered kind of um navigating particular spaces but of course you know a, a lot and and this links to some of my main argument is is thinking about the gendered vulnerabilities of of men and boys and 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 where we get some of that kind of um, you know the violence that perhaps we've encountered at early ages um, how that kind of shapes us in response to other men in response to to relationships in response to authority and i think simon winlow and anthony ellis do some fantastic work around um violence and trauma and masculinity how, how all the burring violent fathers or other men in our lives because often you know it's other men who are violent to other men um and certainly in my own experiences in very early experiences some of the the, the biggest violence perpetrated to me was by men who was in a, should have been in a position to occur rather than um um you, you know be be perpetrators but it's how we carry that and how we kind of are unable masculine ideals of us to 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 clothe that to bury that to kind of perform that for, to to hide that through through um performances of violence to other to other people and then of course there's the you know there's the there's the kind of hedonistic type of stuff is wanting to kind of you know not knowing when to stop is is that idea of drinking more than everybody else using more than everybody else within a very particular um environment and of course all these and then you you match that with resistance to authority and education and all the rest of it you can easily see how that that leads to a pathway to substance misuse to homelessness, to not being able to develop relationships, um, so it, it you know it 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 does all you know we can use masculinity to understand um, some of these experiences. Yeah, you can really see how that all weaves together. But I also wondered whether there are any implications of 
your work and reflections for less marginalised male groups, such as the military and construction workers, both groups where you see more men than women? Yeah, I, I mean, brilliant questions. I, I, I suppose one thing that I, that I learned and I've learned in, in my research is, is we can be in these positions, can't we? We can be your scaffolders or your military. And we can be performing and feeling like we, we're doing okay. We, 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 we've, we've got these, you know, we've, we've got a partner at home, we've got a good job. Um, and often, you know, that can all go in, a, in, a, in an instant, really. That, you know, that, that, and that might be somewhere around maintaining, responding to other men, maintaining status um, or, or whatever it is. I mean, you know, I, 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 the, the fragility of masculinity is what's interesting to me because when I think about my prison research, there are men that I research there that would wake up one day, very high status men on the landing, and the next day they're on a VP landing for something that, that, that they've not been able to sustain or have been able to live up to. In the same way, there, you know, there are... There are those men who, who get up and who, who, you know, in these other employment, military, we see a lot of ex-military who, who, who can't leave that kind of identity and, and have that status and, and confrontation with other men. I, you know, I think our prisons are 95% male, aren't they? And often they are mostly filled with men from the kind of environments that I talk about. But there are also men there who's who's got into a fight one weekend, who, who's done some very serious violence towards a partner. They are your scaffolders. There are your kind of your ones who 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 you know your accountants or or whatever. Uh, and I think you know there are lots of brilliant explanations around masculinity and and power that that really can talk back to some of that stuff. You know, one of the things I was really struck by is the, the really high incidence of suicide, isn't there, amongst construction workers? And um, it's one of the, the one of the highest, you know, in terms of professional groups. And you have to wonder, you know, to what degree that's reliance on doing masculinity in a certain way and not not acknowledging vulnerability might be contributing um, when in, in. And I think there's often been a lot of resistance to women penetrating male groups you know for instance when women first started working in prisons um, and the idea that women would make people would be a vulnerability for a service would be a liability um, sorry rather than vulnerability but actually I think quite often women by virtue of doing things slightly differently might chip away at some of the the stereotyped way of of having to be masculine and might give a bit more permission to the softer side of you know the the more vulnerable part of men yeah i, I think so and i think that i think people people are beginning to you know there are different um you know on these men's group there are different groups where men are being encouraged to talk to other men more to support other men more to call other men out on particular things and i remember we during COVID set up a men's group. Um, and I think that, you know, and there are other things that that's happening that I'm slightly, I'm much more cynical around is, is your more kind of 
myth of poet. You're kind of embracing a traditional masculinity that's been lost. I don't really think very much of them kind of groups because, but but I think what was what was great for me in my own experience is 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 being able to. And look, it's 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 progress, not perfection. I, I was lucky. I encountered brilliant, brilliant feminist scholars who was doing brilliant work on, on men and violence, and and who was who actually got to suit. I, I, you know, I all my journey has been through these amazing feminist um, researchers. You know, from Lynn Siegel at, at Birkbeck to Linda McDowell at Oxford. To, to the people I'm, you know, these brilliant, brilliant people who said we, you know, we want to try and understand more or, or showed me these these different ways of understanding how fragile these identities were. I, I, it's not, I, I, we're not biologically driven to want to hurt other, other people. It's about how, how this is constructed in ways as means of what we feel is survival or navigating or, or coping or, or whatever. And so, you know, I, I I've been really lucky in that I've had these 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 learning from you know and and actually seeing being on the sharp end of of violence of other men as well and being able to recognise that you know the most people that's caused me violence are are other men from from being a kid right 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 growing up and and I don't know what I'm saying there I'm kind of losing my thought without over disclosure but yeah I I do think we need to find ways of encouraging men and it sounds it sounds really please it sounds really corny but men to talk more to women to other men to colleagues um to to know how to reach for help I suppose in my another thing that that may have been helpful to me is I've done a lot of uh, because of my substance misuse I've been around kind of therapy talking groups, and, and and that's enabled me to find a language of vulnerability more to to be more honest, and, and take a chance. I, I think I think that 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 fear of of revealing something to other people and I've done it. I've re I think I've over I've, I've given too much. People are going to think this, I'm going to think that. And I've carried that kind of fear of over-disclosure or whatever to other groups. And, you know, my biggest fears have never come true with people throwing my vulnerabilities back or, 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 or whatever. So I, I don't know what I've kind of said, though. You've got a lot of editing to do. But, I, I've, you know, I, I've learned a little bit to, to, be, to be able to talk and reach out to people, whether that's my partner, whether that's other men in, in, in the fellowships of the, um, uh, you know, the uh, addiction things I do. So I, I, I don't know. No, it's great, thank you. And uh, you know, moving things along, along a little bit, if we um, don't just focus on masculinity, do, how, do you see other aspects of identity such as race and class impacting on masculinity? Do, do, does too much get, landed within masculinity that might also be about different different dimensions so I, I i like i certainly hope that class is completely explicit is completely there in all the work that that i do I, i'm i'm from from these conversations early on about school um class is a major major um uh, 
diamet is major to all these ideals of you know if, if, if a lot of us are the resources or, or whatever the leisure resources the education resources the the kind of you know the after school clubs the kind of car clubs the different kind of you know you'd see you know you'd see a much reduced um prison population um or you you know you might see I think class is, is is there at every step of the way. Is how we how we we how we navigate impoverished spaces is 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 key to to the work I do as men. So it intersects with class and space and place that comes out of my my work. In terms of race, of course, there's people who are much better equipped and and research in this area to talk about some of this stuff. But what's always been interesting to me is I, I grew up in a family of, of, there was 10 of us, and I was the only white male in that family. Um, and, you know, when, when I hear, used to hear about particular privileges or whatever, I used to look around and, and, and struggle to understand what was meant by any kind of privilege that might have come from the spaces um, where I grew up, it was hard to associate and understand what was being discussed there. And, and a little bit more thought and, and reflecting just from my own experience without being able to, to, to go into all the, the literature there is, is you know, I, I, I've, I've been with my three brothers, four bro my brothers walking into particular spaces and seeing things them being treated differently or much more under surveillance or much more talked down to or um whether it's in whether it's starting school as one of the younger ones um and saying yeah we know who your brothers are i'm sure you won't be like them and all this had, had racist connotations uh, under all of the, of the different you know, whether it was the police coming to the house, uh, the way they was policed, the way I was policed differently. So, of course, it's there. It's, it's, it's I've, you know, I've, I've had that kind of outsider but insider gaze onto, onto, onto how all that plays out. Um, my expertise isn't to be able to talk about it in 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 any detail about research or or but we all know the disproportionalities we all know the how you know there was much more visible there was all the police there was you know the, the people on the estate tr tried to treat them differently and a lot of a lot of their getting in trouble was actually kind of responding to the way people treated them in a in in you know so they they got reputations for being violent they got reputations for whatever but class and of course it, it underpins everything we do is is it interplays with masculinity in place thanks for that david i was wondering if i could take you back a little bit to when you were talking about uh, care and levels of caring uh, on the wings because I would imagine that perhaps a bit like the you know, estate in Manchester you were talking about earlier on, that it was a bit patchy because there have been areas on the landings where somebody was a particularly dominating bully and, uh, and, and, and so on. So there'd be all kinds of groups and factions on the, uh, on the wing. And I sometimes think that the prison service takes that as a kind of baseline really and chooses 
or is unable to see the levels of caring to the extent that you're describing anyway and operates its procedures uh, accordingly and and i wonder if that applies to society also do you, do you think society is interested in seeing the fully rounded man that you're referring to um i read this question um let me just find well the the question is fairly coherent but my waffle before it may not be I'm not sure. No, I think it's a good question. And it, it's it's got me to think about what is a fully rounded man um, I, in terms of what, who, how, how do we know in terms of, because it's, it's fluid, it's forever shifting. It, it's, 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 it's not, it's not fixed. What does society want from their men? I, I, I suppose is, is, is an interesting question. What do we as men want from our men? What do what do our mothers want? What do our partners want? What does society need from us as as men? Um, is is the uh, I mean, you know, I like to think I, I might come across <laughs> as 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 fully rounded, but it's so fragile. Um, I, I, I think, um, and I often. Used, I've used it in this interview, uh, progress, not, not perfection. I, I always, I think our conditioning, our navigating particular spaces, it never goes, okay? It never, there's always, I'm always anxious of being bullied by another man, of, of being threatened by somebody. And whether that's in the car or whether that's in a supermarket and whether that takes me back to the family home or whatever it does, I'm always worried about being hurried or being kind of being kind of um, intimidated or having to give off signals that I'm not to be, you know, and there's always this kind of, um, you know, it, it, it I'm not quite sure what I'm trying to say. When I think of a fully rounded man, I think, I think most of the time, you know, I can I can be that person that's that's caring to other people, that that's tolerant, that's kind of uh, the the partner, the 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 kind of hard worker, the the kind of doing okay, emotionally kind of strong. I'm not sure what, but that that's that's unsustainable for most of us, right? Um, and I, it's really I interesting to hear you talk about that, though. You know that kind of relentless pressure, in a way. To oh, well, I was curious about David's um, David discussing the fact that actually having to be mindful a lot of the time about what interactions you have with with men and other men, um, and that being something that that's that's there at the back of your mind a lot of the time. So I think. I thought it was quite interesting to hear that as a woman. Certainly, uh, true, true for me. One's constantly adjusting one's response to, well, right from the very first second that you encounter somebody, you're making a, a judgment about how you're going to, how I'm going to present myself and represent myself to them. And, and of course, within a group, that becomes even more complex. Hmm. 
I, I do think I, I do think it is something that and, and it, of course it, it links to the spaces we've navigated and you know and it is it is something I think that's part of how we've we've been can kind of learn to survive or cope I, I don't want to get into language I don't understand but I know often that I will do things whether it's in a supermarket queue or whether there's somebody walking behind me if I think I'm possibly holding somebody up I might try and step aside and let them pass me because I I worry a lot of time is often spent about avoiding what could be a potential confrontation or what I might read as a confrontation so somebody rough pushing past me and sighing would be a, a bit of a uh, you know something to kind of navigate to to cope with whether it might be a, a group of you know chaps in a particular space where you know you have to walk past in a very particular way or you feel you have to walk past in a very particular way whether that's you know the right amount of eye contact or whether that's the right uh, amount of kind of uprightness or whatever it's 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 easy to sit here and kind of say these you know, a lot of it is inbuilt. It's 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 you kind of do it, um, and I think it is a, as a result of the different, highly kind of tense spaces that you may have navigated from the school to the street to the prison to the workplace to wherever, amongst, um, yeah. It and <laughs> it sounds exhausting. It is exhausting. It's exhausting for my wife in the car sometimes when I when I'm feeling somebody's too close to me. Um, you know, there, there's all kinds of there's all kinds of mechanisms. I think that that we that a lot of us kind of navigate on a daily basis. Now I've got worried that I'm sounding quite unpredictable <laughs> by explaining, but I, I you know we we don't of course act on them things. They're in a they're in a dialogues that that go on. Yeah, no, far from it, far from it, David. It's um, really refreshing to hear somebody talking in a very honest, open way about vulnerability, which I think normally vulnerability in relation to men is often located in women's vulnerability to, to men. So it's good to hear um, ab about how that also ripples through 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 men, men as well. Yeah. So move, moving on, um, and, and I think you've touched upon this all, all, uh, already as... Wondering if you think, I mean, I got slightly stuck ruminating on the statements from the Justice you know, Secretary uh, over the past uh, months, really, because coming from the Justice Department seems a determination to see all imprisoned men um, in one particular way, which is as monsters. Um, and do you think that's feeding to a need of society as a as a whole? What part can we play in in changing that? Do you think? Well, I'm not going to go down that route because you, you'll cut me out. But I think I think there are particular <laughs> <laughs> there are particular psychologists that help psychologists that help or criminologists psychologists I don't quite know where they sit but that kind of helped to feed that kind of um appetite public appetite of of everybody um being this this predatory um manipulative um 
um, you know, uh, what was the word you described, David? Monster. Um, and I think some of us need to be much more responsible about the languages we use, the, the work and the, the privilege of access that we've had in these spaces um, and how we exploit that access and that friendship that people have shown us within these spaces to then go out and and help to flame these narratives of, of monsters and dangerousness and, and people can never be fixed all right. So there, there, there's something I, I, I think we can do and challenge. I think, I think within our discipline, I, I mean, I'm not sure whether I fully identify as a knowledge, but I think within our discipline, whether it's, you, you know, we need to challenge people when, when some of them narratives are, are seeping out from, from our colleagues in the same way we ask people to challenge inappropriate behaviour um, from men to, to women or whatever. I think as, 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 as professionals and colleagues, we need to try and, and at least have conversations around um, I, because just a second, I, I, I mean, I, I'm straying too dangerously in my PRT, um, getting in trouble, but we know that, you know, there's a very, my worry is, is there's not a lot to cling any hope onto at the minute, whether that's Dominic Raab or whether whoever gets in. Imagine what is echoing through the long-term indeterminate prison estate population on some of this awful stuff that's coming out and how you get up and maintain hope when you can do everything that's asked of you and suddenly that can be taken away by an arbitrary ill-informed decision um and a lot of them decisions are feeding into a public appetite of of people being you know um the prison not working properly, be us letting lots of really monsters out back onto the streets. Whereas we know that's not those of us that work in and around these spaces know that 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 that's not the case. Um, and I think we need to work harder to counter some of them narratives. Um, I'm seeing brilliant, brilliant um Twitter accounts. Whoever does that anonymous um parole account is doing mm. a fantastic job of trying to counter some of the ill-informed um, um, narratives that are coming out. I think what strikes me as well, and, and you're probably going to have to cut this because I'll get in trouble, but I, what strikes me is I will inform the public are on how prison sentences work, on how on prison works. You know, they don't understand. People think you do half your sentence and you come home. They don't understand that, you know, people are on average around nine years over tariff. Um, people don't get out that easily um but i'm glad you give me the opportunity to to say that i don't know how much um you know that is me speaking as 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 my um um just you know imagine you've heard some pretty painful stories during the course of your research how do you look after your own well-being and keep yourself nourished and positive in your outlook well that's a really good question but i was looking forward to your number 11 question which <laughs> Which is, a, can I just talk back to that? Because I, I think it's a really thoughtful question. Where, what about you boys? Can, yes, yes. So I, I was going to ask you about, but I, I skipped, was was what about boys and whether we hold boys to different standards than girls, for instance, when we talk about gangs and county lines. And, you know, I I, I, I built this up as if I've done a lot of thinking already. I have been. But I just think that, I think it's a really good question 
and it links us to gender in a really nice way because we need to think about boys much more around um, coercion, around grooming, around how, how this works. There's a lot of great people doing this stuff already, but I think we certainly need a much more language. We, we and this is the this is the result of brilliant scholarship and advocacy, advocacy around women and girls that have been able to pull out some of that grooming, some out, some of that exploitation stuff, some of some of that language around coercion. How can we be learn from that and be much better at using it around your twelve year old who's who's being groomed by the elders on the estate? to kind of hold things, to do running for people, to kind of just get into that lifestyle that becomes near impossible to come out of. So, yeah, I, I think that's a really important question. And hopefully we, we, we're progressing a little bit more to understand boys as, as being vulnerable to that kind of stuff. Absolutely. I mean, certainly when you work with men you have, who've been involved in gang, gang crime, you hear very much the same stories that you get from girls who've found themselves groomed into sex you know that it might not always be sex that's been exchanged with boys but certainly there's the same kind of stories but yeah yes so so hopefully we're not going to swerve how you look after yourself <laughs> yeah no I how do I look after myself well I'm very ble- I mean look I, I I'm around good people I've I've been you know, I've been in a around recovery circles for for coming up twenty years in June. Uh, I'm I'm around people who 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 I'm not going to fear. But I, I need to be much better at, at asking for help and reaching out and talking to people. But um, I've got a really supportive, brilliant wife who who I can talk to. Uh, you know, I've got I've got colleagues. I need to look after myself a bit better. It's a really good question. I'm not, I've never been quite, I remember when we was in, when we was in uh, treatment and on a Friday, they'd always have this question, what is the nice thing you're going to do for yourself at weekend? And it, and it, it really struck me how so many of us struggled to go out and look after ourselves and do something good for ourselves it, it's a, again progress not perfection it's 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 something I'm you know I, I, yeah I, I I do I do have good people around me um, but I need to draw on them much more than I currently do thank you thanks very much David thank you it's really considered brilliant questions um thanks for the opportunity